came in this morning, I had one special thing I wanted to mention before my sermon, and now that list has gotten like four. We'll see how many of them I remember. Uh, many of you have heard uh, Dorothy Montgomery passed away. For those of you who didn't know Dorothy Montgomery, she I, I knew her fairly well, but only in the last year and a half or so when I would go and visit her. But she was a secretary for here at the church for a long time, and it was a church for many, many years. And for those of you who are around long enough to remember you, you know she was a sweet lady. I never knew how sick she was, because when I would go visit her, and in the nursing home, no matter how bad or good she was, she was always so happy and always so uh, nice and every, act like everything was good. So people would ask me, how's Dorothy doing? And I would kind of say, I really have no idea. She's always so wonderful every time that I see her uh, that uh, uh, that works out. I, I'm on. Are you not getting a signal from me? Is it is the line bouncing up and down? It is now? Okay, all right. I should be going. So Dorothy passed. People have asked about the funeral. The funeral is actually on Saturday, but the funeral is going to be way out where the burial site is, and they told me the name of the town, but I forget it's a few hours away, and that is going to be a family-only uh, burial uh, service. They're going to have the service and the gravesite at the same place. I will be there to do the service, but it is not open to the public, but the um, visitation will be Friday night, and that will be at... Uh, I think it's Downing in Leahy or something, something in Leahy, and uh, they will be having the visitation Friday night, and I'm not sure what time that will be. We'll try to maybe get an email out this week so everyone can kind of see it written down if you'd like to go to uh, Dorothy's visitation Friday evening. Uh, some other things, as we talk about how uh, one has passed away and gone to heaven, we have our new special visitor here this morning. I think maybe Matt's got him out somewhere, but... Uh, Eli's here this morning, so make sure you go say hi to him. We're super excited. It's the first time he's been to church since he's been born. So that's Matt and Christy's baby. And make sure they are trying to follow doctor's orders, and they, she's got a whole entire bottle of disinfectant, whatever, to, to put on your hands before you touch him or whatever. So I guess the doctor told him to do that, so they're, they're prepared. So, but go say hi to Eli. It's really excited to have him here with us this morning. I'm sure there's other things that I've forgotten, but I'll go on to the last one that I remember. As you guys know, I went on vacation this week, and I'm telling you, I got to go on vacation more often. This really worked out for me. I left, I came back, and like all this work was done. It was like super awesome. I, this is, I, I got to leave every week. This is more things will get done. A huge thank you to everyone who's been working on it. Obviously, Ron's kind of heading it all up, and he's the main guy and is here, but I know many of you, and I probably don't know all. I've heard some of the names. If I start listing them, I'll probably miss some because I haven't even been around, but a lot of people have come in to help Ron do the various work, and I'm sure that will continue on as we go. We have a few more things we need to do. The painting's not done, the carpet, other stuff. I, I try to list it all. I'm sure I'll forget, but we got a lot of things to do. Just want to give a big thank you, and as a matter of fact, our sermon this morning as we go through it, I think will tie in nicely to what we've been doing here at Sunnyside with the remodeling and all the help that we've been doing. So let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to start that this morning. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning, and as we pray, as we look at this passage, and as we go through it a little bit quickly, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us, guide us, that uh, we could see how we could be your hands and feet. We say that so often, but as we talk about it this morning, specifically in these passages, I just pray that you would help us to know how we can serve you the best way we can. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in 1 Corinthians, we are in chapter 12, and we are going to start in verse 1. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be 
uninformed. So he's talking about spiritual gifts. Um, spiritual gifts, this could get to be a very, very long theological arguments of what people believe about spiritual gifts. I've heard all the way things from all the spiritual gifts are here today. None of the spiritual gifts are here today. What a spiritual gift really is, is a gift that you use that's just a natural gift that everybody has, but when you use it for God, then it becomes a spiritual gift. Like, I've heard many variations and views on what a spiritual gift may be, and so if we wanted to, we could have, like, a really long theological explanation, and I could give you my view. It would just take a really long time, and I think it would be a little bit boring, and I'm not even sure what my view is 100%, so I'd have to figure that out first as well, so that's part of the challenge. So there's a lot of different ways to do, look at spiritual gifts. But as we go into this, I would like to think about this and the idea of different gifts, different talents, different things that we've given by God. You know, I spent the week with my mother because we were on vacation. My mom are the same in a lot of ways. Bethany will tell you all the ways in which we're the same and how she laughs at how I'm so much like my mother. But in the same ways, we're very different. And there's this one way we're kind of really different. Now, I'm going to explain this in really stark terms. I'm sure it's not this stark. She's really not quite this much way, and I'm not quite this much this way, but I'm just going to explain it to make the illustration, all right? So, I really hate, really hate repetitive tasks. I really hate repetitive tasks. So, if I've done something, and I've successfully done it, and I figured out how to do it, I don't just want to do it again and again. So, for example, filing papers. So when I was a kid, my dad would have me come work for him, and there was a summer I worked for him, and they'd be like, see this stack of papers? You're the peon of the office that doesn't know how to do anything. How about you just take all these papers and put them in the correct file? So I was like, at first, I had never done it before, and this is exciting. And about after the 10th one, I realized, huh, anybody could do this. This is very tedious, and while I can't like not think about it, because I got to put the right things in the right ones, and I have to look at the little alphabet they had above the file cabinet, because apparently none of us could remember our alphabet, I, I had to think about it so I couldn't like listen to the radio or something. It was incredibly repetitive and boring. I hate those kind of tasks. If I already know how to do it, and it's just a matter of doing it, and it's easy, and I feel like anyone else could do it, I do not want to do it. My mother, on the other hand, really likes those kind of tasks. She says, I'm confident I know what I'm doing. I know where it goes. I, I know I'm going to be successful, and I don't mind doing that kind of thing over and over and over again. I'm sure she would get bored like anyone else doing the exact same thing over again, but, you know, filing has a little bit of variety. There's different letters and some few things to figure out, so she kind of enjoys that kind of work. So when my dad got really busy, she did not ever want to come work for him, but the only time she would come helping in his accounting firm was filing. She felt good. That was something she could do. So I, I'm guessing my mom would enjoy a lot more than me something like working on assembly line. I, I can't even imagine working on assembly line. I would just hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it doing that. Whatever that thing was I had to do over and over again, I'd be 20 minutes in, I'd be ready for a new, new job. And mom might have liked it a little bit more. And now, we're, so we're all different. The thing about all being different is, Dad really needed those things filed. You know, Dad needed those filed. If those didn't get put away in the right place and they just ended up being a giant stack of unfiled documents, this is a real problem. Like for his business to work the way it needed to, he needed it to be filed. 
So I could try to say, oh, I'm smarter than my mom, which I don't think is true, but I could say, oh, well, that's jo that job's too easy. I don't want it. It doesn't matter how easy or hard it is. It has to be done or the place doesn't go. The place doesn't work. You have to have everybody doing something. And so to say whose job is harder or takes more brains or whatever you want to call it was a little bit overemphasized because if those things don't get done, the place doesn't work. Sure, if my dad doesn't do the accounting, does it work? Of course not. I mean, you got to have the accountant, but if you don't have all the files put in the right place, it doesn't work either. So as we think about that, we're going to go on to verse 2. It says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. So it's He's saying here that when you, before you became Christians, you would follow idols. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. So, if someone's really following God and they're really supposed to be following Him, they'll never say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. I'm not exactly sure what this means because I'm guessing we could all lie and say Jesus is Lord or some word like that and not really mean it. But likely in that culture, if you said Jesus is Lord, um, because there was a lot, not a lot of benefit, personal benefit to you, likely no one would lie and say Jesus is Lord. Uh, whereas today, saying Jesus is Lord might help you get elected in the right town, in the right place, if the place still is, uh, is Christian enough, right? If you can get 51% of the people that go to church, you're going to say, ah, I go to church too, right? But in that culture, you wouldn't have had such benefit. Now, there are variety of gifts, but the same spirit. So there's these different gifts that are given. And there are variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So what is the main problem that they're having? And they've had this problem many, many times, right? What's always the problem, it seems like? They don't get along. They have a lack of unity, right? Every single time. We have all these issues. This seems to be just one more. They fight over this, they fight over that, and now they're fighting over spiritual gifts. Which gifts better? Which one matters more? So on and so forth. To each is given this manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he says, each is given for everyone. So as soon as we start thinking about our gifts, on what our gifts do for me, we are thinking incorrectly about our gifts, right? What do my gifts do that help everyone else? For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So some are wise, some are good at knowing things. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. So interesting. I, this is a very long topic too, but in Ephesians are talking about giving a measure of faith. It just seems like some of us are able to be better at having more faith than others. I'm sure you've met that person that you're always just awed that they have so much faith, that they just seem to be so unwavering. So you read David in Psalms and you're like, where's the faith, buddy? Right? Like you seem to be really wavering here. But then we know those some people that just never seem to waver. Seems like the gift of having more, a lot of faith. So we all might have saving faith for those of us who believed but there seems to be other people who have special amounts of faith to be able to be more unwavering than others. To another, the gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. 
So this is where usually this, the big arguments come. Are all of the gifts for today? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we have the gift of prophecy? Do we have the gift of speaking in tongues? So on and so forth. So speaking in tongues and sign gifts like that, I'm going to use the word sign gifts to try to talk about those. Sign gifts seem to not happen in the church for a really, really long time in history. And then they began again. So there's the some began in California, and then some in Kansas, and when they ultimately came together, some actually formed denominations, which are the Pentecostal denomination, the Assemblies of God denomination, and then other denominations started um, practicing more sign gifts, but they didn't change denominations, so you can have a charismatic Baptist, that means you would believe in the sign gifts, but you still be Baptist in doctrine in, all, in kind of all the other ways. You can even have a charismatic Catholic, I've not met one, but I've read that they exist, so this is kind of the debate on how things go. Are, they for, are the sign gifts for here or are they not for here? And I am not going to solve this this morning. I once read a book and it was like the views on, on, uh, on uh, the sign gifts, you know, the four views or something like that. And one was cessationist. The sign gifts aren't here for today no matter, no matter what. One, of course, is more like the Pentecostal view, and another was more like a charismatic view. There's a little bit of variation there. I kind of forget. And the fourth one was, he said, my view is open but cautious. He's like, I don't think the Bible slams the door on it, but I'm cautious about these kind of things. Because anytime you have something good often going on, there's always abuse. Always abuse, right? So you say, are pastors a good thing? Well, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think pastors in general are a good thing. Have there people then been pastors that have abused it? Well, of course. Of course, lots have. And any almost good institution or thing that you can think of that are good, humans, we find a way to abuse it. We're sinful. We find ways to make it worse. We find ways to screw it up. So I am open to sign gifts. I'm not sure how it all works and whatnot, but I would say cautious because it is something that can be abused, and I don't know when it has been abused and when it is not. I can tell you when it becomes the most tricky. There was a girl in my class so we were, a, my high school was pretty cessationist in general, but there's a girl in my class who wanted a mission trip, and she came back and she said, on my mission trip, this miracle thing happened, some healing or something happened, I don't know, whatever. And so this was my options to respond to her. You are lying, or you're deceived. You're lying, or you're deceived, right? Those were my options, because she's saying someone did a miracle. So I had to tell her, well, you're wrong. They didn't really do a miracle. You're fooled. Or I had to say, well, you're lying to me right now. I often really don't like either of those options when I hear this kind of thing, because often the people that tell me, someone like her, I mean, I, she, I don't know why she would have lied to me. I do not think she was being lying. And so just to say everyone else that believes in sign gifts, which there is a lot of them, are all total idiots, also doesn't seem like a great option as well. So I like to stay open but cautious, okay? And I could give you, and I'm not going to go into all the details of why I would agree. There's particular passages that you argue about, this kind of being one of them, but there's many um, having to do with the completion of the canon and all that, and I'm just not going to go into it. We'll never, we'll, that's, all, that's all we talk about. It. We'd be here an hour over. We go on to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportion to each one individually as he wills. I think something that is very important is, he's, as he's talking about sign gifts, what is the big problem? They're not being unified. And what is sign gifts and the practice of them often we've allowed to have happen to us? They've been a course of division. 
We've created new denominations over it. We separate over it. Sometimes people that don't believe in sign gifts won't work with people that do believe in sign gifts, so on and so forth, that it goes both ways, so on and so forth. It's ironic that a passage that's really trying to have people get along ended up becoming a passage that people argue over and ended up splitting over. It is some pretty, it's a pretty ironic deal in my opinion. For just as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so is it with Christ. You know, as I was thinking about this sermon, I almost thought, you know, if I was going to give this a title, especially if I was going to start here at verse 12, I would say something like, to emphasize a particular point I'm going to make is, it's okay to be the left hand. It's okay to be the left hand. As we go through these particular gifts, I'd like you to think about this idea, and I'll explain it more at the end. It's okay to be the left hand. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Right. So when we became Christians, we became baptized into this one spirit. We all became unified. It does not matter what race we were. It did not matter how much money we were. We were slave free. None of that. We're all together. We're unified in one For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So when we come together as Christians, we should be able to be very, very different and still be one body. Certain parts of our body are very, very different than others. The church we struggle with, I'm not saying that the church is super bad or whatever. They were struggling with it all the way back in the first century. We really, really struggle with this as a church. We tend to go to churches of people our same age. We tend to be, you know, tend to be the people that look like us, that culturally are like us, right? So if we're like, well, this group, I mean, I don't want to pick on this because this issue just is a non-issue, but so... I'm picking this because it doesn't matter. If you're a person that says, oh, we just absolutely can't possibly wear a hat in church, and then another person says, oh, it's okay, we will go to the church that doesn't allow hats. Or we will go to the church that does allow hats because that cultural thing really matters to us. We've been very, very difficult. Now, I under, I'll say this, I understand wanting to be a part of a group you feel... Uh, uh, in common with, that you don't feel ostracized and all that. I, I understand that those feelings are super real and I completely understand. It's just, we've always got to be fighting the battle to be uniting around not, you know, what, the, what other cultural things there are, but actually uniting around Christ, right? Actually uniting around the mission, actually uniting around the thing that we're trying to do, not uniting around well, we all like pink and they all like red. And so, you know, obviously pink's better. So I'm going to the pink church, right? No one does that. I'm being facetious, but it's just a constant battle. We have Corinth was battling this, right? They're battling this. We are supposed to be able to be very different, yet one at the same time. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Everyone 
is needed. Everyone is needed. And I like this to think about the hand. Let's start with the hand. The hand can do a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, it's like every, you, know, you read about automation. What's the big problem with making robots? They have a real trouble with a thumb. You know, the thumb is very hard to duplicate. Our thumbs are pretty awesome. We can do a lot of stuff with our hands. Build, clean, play instruments, you name it. You know, we do lots of stuff with our hands. So sometimes we get the idea that, well, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm good at this. That means I only do that. I'm good at this, I only do that. You might be a hand, and you might be very, very good at playing the whatever. It does not mean that that hand cannot be used for something else that maybe you're not as good at. So we all have our roles, the things we're good at. Hopefully we find those things we're good at. Hopefully we can be plugged in it. But I do not want us to think I need to be locked into the things I'm good at and not the things I'm not good at. Right? If the hand only ever did the thing the hand was best at, the hand wouldn't do very much, would they? They wouldn't do very much. I'm really good at eating with my hand. Super good. Got it down. Well, I guess I better not exercise, drive my car, whatever else it is, right? I'm just going to stick with eating because I'm super good at it with hand. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Cut off your little toe and see what annoying thing it is to not have it. Seems like it doesn't matter that much. You know, we thought the appendix was unneeded, right? We didn't really need the appendix. We could just take it out. Oh, I come to find out it is kind of helpful to have one of those things. Sometimes we get the idea that one part matters so much more than the other. The person that files the files matters. The accounting firm doesn't run if you don't have the files in the right place. I don't care how easy and repetitive the job is. It has to be done. It has to be done right. The weaker, this, these jobs that seem less are just as indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresented parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there be no division in the body, but that the same members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I'm sure I've talked about this before, 
But one of the great, one of the great things you can do in your life that will just make you a happier person is when other people have success, you are happy for them. So, let me give you an example. I graduated from college a year early. I graduated in three years. I did my MDiv in two years. It's supposed to take three. So I did my undergrad at MDiv in five years. It's supposed to take seven years. I was started applying for PhD programs when I was in my last year of seminary to get accepted. So I had calculated if I graduated from with my MDiv when I was 23 and I started working on my PhD and I got it done in four or five years, I'd have my PhD by the time I was 27 or 28. I would be the youngest, not the youngest PhD ever, I would be the youngest PhD I ever knew. There, there are certainly geniuses out there that have done it, crazy, crazy young, but I would be an extremely young PhD. And I started working my PhD, I was doing good, I was cranking right along, and of course, as you guys know, when I ended up getting divorced at school, I tended to kick me out of school because they didn't allow more students, so on and so forth, transfer, yada, 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 so now I had to redo most of my classes. Now I'm 50 pages into 250 page dissertation, so I'm going to get that thing done one of these days, but I didn't get it done when I was 27 or 28. Guess what? I saw on Facebook the other day. Andy Mesmer, who was in my class, graduated with his PhD. What should I have said? Great for Andy. What do you think was the first thought that went through my mind? I was always smarter than Andy. I was always better at school than Andy. I can't believe Andy got it done before me. I was, oh man, if whatever would have happened to me, I'd have been done six years ago. I, oh my goodness, right? But life is so much better when you can see Andy and say, I'm so glad Andy got that done. We, know, we need more people with PhDs in Bible theology. Good for him. And this is how, as a body, when we see one another be happy, we be happy with one another. We see something difficult, we suffer with one another. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I assume the answer there is no, right? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And of course, as we get to 13, he talks about maybe the, the, you know, the most important thing of all as he talks about love. But as we go, I like us to think about this. If the left hand said, I'm not good, as good at things as the right hand. I'm right-handed. Maybe, maybe you're left-handed. This would be backwards. I'm right-handed. I'm, I'm basically better at everything with my right hand, except maybe catching a baseball. So if the left hand said, I'm not as good as the right hand at it, I'm just going to let the right hand do it.
about that. If I were able to justify not doing stuff because I'm not as good at it as somebody else, how much is going to get done? Only as much as the right hand can do, apparently. Go tie your left hand behind your back for a while and see how great it is. See how well you function, how much you get done, how productive you are. As a matter of fact, the right hand is even better with the help of the left, is it not? As you think about your part in the body of Christ, and you, hopefully you do many things, you don't just do one, when you're doing things, never tell yourself, well, I'm not the best at this, so I shouldn't be a part of it. Nothing wrong with being the left hand. And maybe in another project you'll be the right hand. Who knows? But so often we sometimes use the idea of what I'm good at as an excuse to do less. We should never use it as an excuse. Sure, if there's someone better at it, we want them to do it. Of course, that's efficiency. That's, that's good. That's good. The best people doing it. You know, we don't want me up there playing the piano, right? I technically know two songs. And I could do it. And in a real big pinch, if no one else were here, we could sing Joy to the World as our worship song, because that's what I remember. And maybe that would be better than nothing. But yeah, obviously it's better to have our piano players do it. But I encourage you, do not be discouraged if there's someone. I used to go to the weight room and think, one of these days I might be the strongest guy here. Boy, I was an idiot. Okay, so I'm in the Blair YMCA weight room lifting. I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting pretty strong. I'm in college. I'm home for college. And, and I, I picked a small gym where there weren't too many people. So I'm like, this is great. I might be able to become the strongest person here. I you know, picked a small pond to try to be the strongest person there. Oh, this guy came in. I, he must have been a football player for Dana College or something. He picked up the 80-pound dumbbell. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I can bench the 80-pound dumbbell. And he goes... And I'm like, yeah, I might be able to do it like this a few times, but not like this. And if any of you have ever lifted weights, curling 80, I can do like the 40s 10 times. He repped out the 80s 10 times. It was like, yeah, I'm not going to be the strongest guy in this gym. <laughs> it is not going to happen. Should I have quit lifting weights? Does that mean I'm done? I'm not the best at it? Of course not. Let me encourage you. It's okay to be the left hand. We all have our part. We, we, we may not be the best at it. You know, sometimes when we get older, we're, we used to be the best, and then we're not the best anymore. Does that mean we quit? Of course not. Of course not. It's okay to be the left hand. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning as we get ready for communion. Lord, I just pray that we think to you. We think about unity. We think about our role. We think about what we can do to help the body of Christ. But we're all one, we're all together, we're all pushing forward. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.